0: Um, It's good to be with you. I'm excited for what God has for us this morning. Uh, Like Luke said, my name is Robbie Isley. I'm the pastor of high school ministry here. Uh, If you're joining us online, I want to extend my welcome to you as well. Uh, And first, I need to say thank you to Pastor Rob for allowing me to get up here and to open God's word with you. I truly do consider this an honor. So let's do that. Let's open God's word to 2 Timothy. If you need... A Bible. Get the attention of one of the ushers who are coming down the aisle. They will get one into your hands. But Second Timothy is where we're going to be. We're going to be starting in uh, chapter three, verse fourteen, and I will meet you there in just a second. So as you can see, this morning we're talking about the truth. Uh, the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, it's incredibly important, and it matters. It matters what you believe, and it matters what you do with the truth. And this morning, we're going to shine some light on the truth, capital T, truth from God's Word, and explore exactly what the truth is about the truth. I realize there was a lot of truth in that paragraph, and we'll move on from that. But what I've learned over the past few years of being able to work here is just how extensive the attack on truth really is. The attack manifests itself through something that's some concept that we call worldview, which is basically the lens in which we interpret the events that happen in our life and those that are happening around us. It's how we view the world. George Barna and the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University has really narrowed this Cultural, this worldview map down to seven main worldviews. And this graphic will give you a good idea of what those are. Everything from Marxism, secular humanism, nihilism, Eastern mysticism, moralistic therapeutic deism, postmodernism, and then biblical theism, which is a biblical worldview. A whole bunch of isms that we don't really need to get into this morning, but it just shows you the scope of what the world believes, and how we interpret what's going on. But the fascinating thing is, our world doesn't really like any of them. What's happening more and more is we're becoming syncretistic, meaning we're taking bits and pieces from different worldviews and mashing them all together, balling them all up, and coming up with this brand new way to view the world. And the difficult thing about that is it has no bearing on contradiction, It's literally what you like about different ways to view the world, and then we're just mashing them together. Barna found that 88% of the people that they polled actually hold to some sort of syncretistic worldview, which is difficult because it's difficult to really find out what people believe about the truth because it changes all the time. Our culture is increasingly being governed by feelings and whims, It's hard to put that together. However, as Christians, as the church, this cannot define us. We have to have a biblical worldview. I have the unique opportunity to be immersed in the culture of the next generation. I have the awesome opportunity to see how a select group of young people think, how they interpret the world, how they process what's happening to them. And a few things that I've noticed is this generation coming up, is incredibly intelligent. They're smarter than I would have ever given them credit for prior to. They're motivated. What they do is they find a cause that's bigger than themselves, and they latch onto that cause and fight tooth and nail for that cause. And given those things put together, I also notice that they need guidance. Guidance and teaching in the truth of God. So let's get to that, shall we? The truth of God. Read with me. Once again, we're going to start in 2 Timothy 3.14. And we're going to read all the way through chapter 4, verse 5. This is Paul writing to his protege, Timothy. Paul says, as, But as for you, Timothy, continue on in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching." For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The book of Second Timothy was written towards the end of Paul's life. He's sitting in a prison cell in Rome waiting his execution. So this is his charge to Timothy, his encouragement to Timothy to keep on, to keep on in his ministry and keep on in his church. And as you can see on your note pages, uh, type A personalities are going to love today because there's a lot of fill in the blanks. Everybody else, sorry there's not much place to doodle, but we'll get through it. But there's five truths that we can pull from this passage about truth. And the first is... That is powerful. The truth is powerful. Capital T, truth is powerful. Look once again at 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue on in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding Timothy that he was taught God's truth when he was a kid. From early on, this was the message that was preached to him, taught to him. And from 2 Timothy 1.5, we know exactly who taught him. It was his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. I gotta say, God's timing is nothing short of perfect. Because if you were here last week, you you know that uh, Pastor Rob gave an entire message about his mom, and a large part of that was how she taught him from an early age the truths of God's word. Using things, the technology back today, the flannel to teach him the stories of Scripture, the truth, and guide him and bring him up. Pastor Rob said last week that his mom taught him biblical convictions. And just like Mrs. Willie, Timothy's mom and grandma did the same. And if you want the extended version of that analogy, go back and watch last week's message because it's amazing the impact of God's word can have on our lives. From childhood, both of these men were acquainted with, they were taught, they were brought up in that teaching. And when Paul shares why that matters, he says, because it's able to make you wise unto salvation through faith. In Jesus Christ. Lois, Eunice, Mrs. Willie, they weren't teaching their kids to be morally good. They weren't correcting behavior so that they would have kids that weren't an embarrassment when they go to the grocery store. What they were doing is they were teaching the future generation to be godly. And that's what matters. There's power in the pages of scripture life-changing, legacy-making power found in the Bible. Through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the power of salvation. That's the gospel. That's the truth. It's powerful, so believe it. Paul reminds Timothy of his belief in 14. He says, you learned it, but that didn't end there. He believed it. And let's be honest, there's sometimes the Bible's not super easy to believe. There's some weird stuff in there. This past week, we were doing family devotions. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I don't know how we got onto this, but uh, we started talking about the book of Judges. And without fail, one of my boys goes, Dad, tell the story about the uh, the judge with the sword. Most judges have swords, but I know exactly what he was talking about. If you're familiar with Judges 3, it's the story of um, Ehud. So Ehud, is a judge that was left-handed from my own kin. I'm left-handed too, love that part. But he had a sword and he uh, was in, actually in battle with the uh, king of Moab. And the story goes that Ehud sneaks into his bathroom and he s- stabs the king. And the king was chubby enough where he loses his sword in the girth of the man. My boys love that story. It's got everything that a little boy looks for. It's got swords. It's got bathroom humor. It's got everything. <laughs> so it's, Dad, tell the story about the judge with the sword. And if you're at all curious, yes, that's usually how devotions go in the Isley household. But the point is, it's, it's real. Like, I hesitate to call these stories because they're accounts. They're accounts of something that really happened. And they're there for a reason, These aren't just fairy tales. They're God's revealed word to us. It was given to us to believe. Sometimes we tend to dismiss a lot of the Old Testament because it is weird. It is funny. It is lists of names. But we can't. We can't just jump to the New Testament and think to ourselves, well, that's what really matters. That's where the meat is. That's what teaches me how to live. That's Jesus. We can't do that. Because all of Scripture is God's Word. We can't pick and choose. There is life changing power in all the pages of that book. Believe what it says. The second truth about the truth is that it's valuable. From 16 and 17 it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. God, through His Holy Spirit, used human authors to write a book. At the beginning, we said that, yeah, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Absolutely true. What's, what's being described here is inspiration. It's the miraculous event that happened when God wrote by using human authors to con- communicate to us the exact words that He wanted while using the exact words. That the author wanted brought them together and gives us scripture. That's what Paul was describing when he says all scripture is breathed out by God. It's his exact words. God wrote the book, but once again, he didn't give it to us just so that we could have these fairy tales to read. God's intention. For giving us his word was not to entertain us, although sometimes it does, like when my boys giggle at the sword wielding, sword losing, chubby king that died on the toilet. Sometimes they do entertain us, but that's not the point. That's not the picture, the full picture. God gave us his revealed word, and in doing so, he shows us how to live, he shows us him. He reveals to us his character. He shows to us our sin. He shows to us our need for a Savior. He reveals the Messiah himself. And it's the power of salvation for teaching, for reproof, to call out our sin, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's valuable. And because it's valuable, you need to seek it, meaning read it, open the book, study what God's word says, extract the truth. Listen, I'm a big fan of podcasts. I love podcasts. I like reading articles about theology. I like reading articles about different views. And if that's you, awesome. But if that's where your knowledge stops, at the podcast, at the articles, man, you're missing it. Our research can't stop at what somebody else says. I'm also a fan of studies. Love Bible studies, love commentaries. They help us divide, they help us see the truth. But in studying that way, if you spend more time reading the words of what an author says about the Bible than you do actually reading the Bible itself, you've got it backwards. We need to seek the truths of God's Word. The Bible's only good for teaching, reproof, correction, and training if we know what it says. Colossians 3.1 tells us to seek the things above. Seek the heavenly truths found in Scripture that is, as Paul put it, our training in righteousness. That's how we know, because God told us. I look at the world today, and it's, it's sad to me, because I look back the way I grew up, and it's not the same. And I'm watching my kids, I'm helping my kids grow up in this culture, in this world that is almost unrecognizable. And I've heard the question asked, like, how did we get here? Like, how did we go from from this to, to this? That's a pretty easy question to answer. See, our world doesn't seek the truth of God. Our world doesn't look at what the truth is. It makes up its own. But you need to. We can't be governed by what the culture says. The truth needs to govern us. We need to live our lives by what the scriptures say, what the truth tells us. It should govern your decisions, your actions, your worldview. This, the Bible, the scripture is the lens in which we need to interpret what happens We are under the authority of God, of what God says, not the other way around. The truth isn't just a good idea or a pleasant platitude that you paste up on your wall or you put on a coffee mug. The truth is needed, and that's our next truth. The truth is needed. Look back at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Once again, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of who is to judge the living of the dead and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In verse one, Paul is just like just heaping the weight onto what he's about to say. He's invoking the name of God. He's invoking God's position. He's invoking God's action to show its importance. It's like, you know when you're trying to get somebody's attention or you're telling somebody and they're scrolling through their phone, they're not really paying attention, or they're off in la 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 and lulling, you can tell they're not, so you grab them by the shoulder, you kind of give them a quick shake so they make eye contact. You're like, I'm talking to you. That's what Paul's doing. He's verbally like shaking Timothy, saying, pay attention to this next, this next few words, and those next few words are preach the word. In season and out of season, See, it's, it's needed because without God's word, we're completely lost. Without God's word, we can't be ready. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. See, this just isn't just an ancient script. It's alive. And what I marvel at every week, every day, is how relevant it is. Written so long ago, but it speaks directly to human nature and the human heart so much so that in 2023, in the culture we live in, it's still relevant. Because we have no truth if not for God's truth—it's imperative. It's needed. It's needed. So proclaim it, and this is where we go from like the internal to the external. The internal of seeking it and believing it and studying it to the external of proclaiming it to the world. Paul's instruction to Timothy to preach the word. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for somebody on a stage behind a podium. This is for the church. This is for everybody. Everybody that is a, f- a member of the family of God is called to proclaim the word, proclaim the truth when it's popular and when it's not, especially when it's not. And more and more in our lives, and our culture, it's becoming evident that it's not popular. And a lot of times that, that evidence is an in-your-face hatred for what we believe, in-your-face hatred for the moral standard of Scripture— That's sometimes, but sometimes it's a little bit more subtle than that. Sometimes, unfortunately, the lies come from behind the podium in some places, where preachers will start to conform the Scriptures to what culture says, and in doing so, they preach a false gospel. We need to be wary of of the teaching we receive. That's why I appreciate this church. That's why I appreciate what Rob does weekly. As we all go about our weeks, he is studying, he is reading, he is dividing the word so that he is in line with scripture and doesn't skip over the fourth week of Babylon because it's hard, but he divides the word to teach and to preach and to proclaim the truth. But Paul's no dummy. He adds a little caveat at the end of this. It says proclaim the word. Yeah, absolutely. But do it in complete patience. See, a lot of times we get zealous about what we believe and proclaim, and we get frustrated at the world like, don't you just, don't you get it? And patience gets left at the door. See how scripture is still relevant for us today? In complete patience. 1 Peter 3.15 puts it this way, Be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within you, yet do it with all gentleness and respect. See, because if we start just beating people over the head with the truth, we become, as 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, just a clanging cymbal. We're just noise. So when we proclaim the truth, we have to do it in patience, gentleness, respectfully, but we have to proclaim it, we must proclaim it. Our fourth truth for today, for this morning is that the truth is timely, it's timely. Verses three and four say, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into into myths. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this book, and he said the time's coming, but implication was it was already there. and New Slash, it it still is. People are leaving Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches in droves because sometimes the Scripture doesn't match up with what they want to hear, match up with what they feel. So they leave that church and try try and find another one that will suit what they want to hear. But now is the time more than ever to dig in, to read, to study, to extract the truth so that your convictions will be solidified. So that you will have biblical fi- convictions and they will rule your decisions. And that rings so true with this last year and a half that we've been in Revelation. is solidifying those convictions because I don't think things are going to get better for the church anytime soon. I think they're going to progressively get worse. And if without those solidified convictions, we'll be tossed by the waves. And we'll leave biblical sound teaching to find something that's a little bit easier to stomach. Just like George Barna said in his research, people are are picking and choosing bits and pieces of different worldviews simply to suit their fancy. And again, it does, has nothing to do with logic. It has nothing to do with consistency. It has everything to do with feelings. We live in a culture where anybody can identify as anything. Anybody can be whatever they want to be, and that means a little bit dif- something a little bit different than when I was a kid. See, when somebody said, you can be anything you want to be, they meant like a doctor or an astronaut. But now it's literally anything. There are groups of grown men and women who dress up like dogs and demand to be treated as a dog. They sleep in kennels. There are grown men who wear diapers and demand to be treated like babies because that's how they feel. I saw a video the other day of a person who was born completely healthy, but she always felt like she should be blind. It's a true story. And so she identified as a blind person, and she was upset that she could see, so she took matters into her own eye, or her own hands, and she poured drain cleaner into her eyes so that she could live her truth. That's the world we live in. That's the culture. It's not even just worldviews. It's it's that, and that's not even the weirdest one that I found you know, when you, when you go to search and Google and it's got the search bar and you type in, like start typing in and then it drops down like 10 to 15 options and it starts filling in what it thinks you want to put in. Well, I typed in person identifies, that's it. And here, I want to read you the, the top 10 or so responses that I got of this drop-down menu. Person identifies as wolf, dog, cat, furniture, Hawk, bird, dragon, baby, broccoli, alligator, and then my personal favorite was camera. You know, we've all done it though—like you take the the, the hard blink to to solidify something in your mind, like I got the picture now. But this takes it to a whole new level. Like that's that's where we're at. We have to stick. To the truth. The point is that our world is constantly leaving sound teaching to pursue their own passions. And those passions are more and more and more leaving the realm of truth. But it's not just the culture. Unfortunately, there are churches leaving sound teaching, sound doctrine. In beginning and continuing to contort scripture, leave out scripture, add to scripture, so that it will conform with culture. The time is now. The truth is needed now more than ever. So what does this mean for you? It's timely, so teach it. Teach the truth. Our response, our collective response as God's family, as the church needs to be, teach the truth. Teach the truth to those around us. Be the antithesis of the teachers that suit people's passions, but follow what the word says. Teach the truth. I'm going to take just a second and brag on our kids' ministry for just a second. Aaron Jewell, Jonathan Camper, and their team do a phenomenal job of teaching our young ones the truths of Scripture. They teach the truth in an age-appropriate way, but they don't dumb down the content so that the kids can understand it. I was talking to Jonathan a couple weeks ago, um, and it came up that he taught on a Tuesday night to kindergartners through fifth graders, taught them about the hypostatic union of Christ. So the kindergartners through fifth graders learned that that means... Jesus' divine nature and Jesus' human nature came together in one person and they unified somehow. And that's the term that theologians came up with that for that process. The hypostatic union of Christ. And I'm willing to bet that there are some kindergartners through fifth graders that went home and taught mom and dad about the hypostatic union of Christ. See these concepts, theology is not too advanced. We can't dumb down the message for our young people. We have to give them the credit that they're due, that they can learn this stuff, and they retain it. They need the truth, and there's no better time to start than now. Barna's research shows that um, a person's worldview begins to form between the ages of 15 and 18 months. Months. 15 and 18 months is when our worldview is being shaped already. And it's usually almost completely formed by the time we're 13. That should instill just a little bit of urgency in us. But not only that, most Americans die with the same worldview that they formed by 13. So they live their entire life most of them with a single worldview. Which means the time is now. Begin now to teach the truth. Listen, if you've missed those ages, if your youngest child is 14, the good news is our God is bigger than a worldview. Our God is more powerful than statistics. But the urgency should be kicked up just a little bit. Start now. Start now teaching those around you the truths of God's Word. And this needs to happen at home. This can't just be expected to happen on Tuesdays at Kids Club, on Wednesdays at Youth Group, on Sundays, over in the Kids Wing, or even here. It needs to happen at home. But I get it. Young people, sometimes even your own kids, can be a little bit intimidating. Let's be honest, they wear, they wear weird clothes. They say weird stuff. Many of them smell weird. They can probably use technology better than you can. But they need the voice of those further along in their faith in their lives. And let me say, once upon a time, to all the old hats in here... And Okay, so I I wrote this, and um, I was like, yeah, all the old hats, all the older people. And then I went and got my hair cut this week, and the last question she asked me was, do you want me to trim up your eyebrows and your ears? So that's when I realized I'm part of this group now. I'm 40, I'm part of this group. And out of my pride, I said, no, don't touch my ears. They're fine. And then I went home and checked them and made sure they were fine. But I say that to say I realize I'm part of this group, but I saw this quote the other day from the New York Times. Um, it, was, uh, it says this, The now generation has now become the me generation. Kind of sounds like our young people, doesn't it? Self-absorbed, wrapped up in what they've got going on. That was written in 1976. Gen Z, Generation Alpha, I know I've got some of them in here, the younger ones. The boomers were viewed just like you are. Meaning, when you say, okay, boomer, to somebody older than you, that's going to be you someday, so just prepare for that. See, we go through these generational changes, and, and it's all the same. Another quote I saw was this. They have trouble making decisions. They would rather hike the Himalayas than climb the corporate ladder. They crave entertainment but their attention span is as short as one zap of a TV dial. They postpone marriage because they dread divorce. Okay, the TV dial there kind of dates this already, but that was written in 1990 about the Gen Xers. And we could say the same thing minus the TV dial about the young people today. And we do. In large because we don't know their culture, but they're the next generation And yes, young people, we did have to get up off the couch to turn the channel on the TV. And while you were up, fix the bunny ears so you could see and make out what you were watching. The point is, the younger generation, that was us. So we should understand more than anybody else the importance of teaching the truth of God. Last, Last truth is, we'll move it quicker here. Last truth is it's vital. The truth is vital. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The truth is vital. We can't do the work of an evangelist without it. It's vital because without God's word, we can't be sober-minded. We will not endure suffering. No doubt things were hard for Timothy. Ministry is hard. Ask anybody who has served in any sort of capacity here that Ministry's tough. That's why Paul adds in there, endure suffering. Serving in God's kingdom was never promised to be easy. In fact, it was told that it was going to be the exact opposite. John 16, Jesus promises his disciples that in the world they will have trouble. Without God's revelation of who he is, his goodness, the promise that he won't leave us or forsake us, Without that, we won't endure suffering. We will not do the work of an evangelist. It's vital to our life, but it's also vital to the kingdom of God. Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, basically spread the gospel, and to do that, the gospel is required. Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's vital to what we do, to how we live it's vital, so spread it. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In other words, spread the gospel. We just talked about the, the younger generation, but we need to spread the gospel to teach it to those in our sphere of influence, no matter the age. And if, you have, if you're alive and you have somebody in your life, then you've got somebody to share the gospel with. At the end of Matthew, Jesus gives his final charge to the disciples. Chapter 28, verse 19 of Matthew, he says, Go, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Spread the word. It's not easy, but it is simple. It's a simple command for us. Five simple truths about the truth this morning. That God has given us his word. He has given us his truth. In a culture that's hostile toward scripture, remember to fight the good fight, to hold fast and to rest in God's grace. Don't keep the truth to yourself. Proclaim it. Teach it. Spread it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Father God, thank you for your revelation to us. Thank you for being good enough, loving enough to show us who you are. Father, I ask that you would give us, give us the zeal that it takes to proclaim your word. Give us the belief in your word. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to your truth. Lord, give us passion for your word so that we encounter you in the pages of Scripture. Lord, we can't live without your truth, so thank you for giving it to us. Lord, help us to believe it even more. In Jesus' precious name, amen.